do you follow these days? If you're involved in social media and have a Twitter account, this uh, terminology may be familiar. If you have followers, you're following and people who are following you. And when you're following someone on Twitter, you can see their posts and things that they put on, and they, and they can see yours when they're following you. And uh, there may be a varied degrees of influence that has on your life. Maybe you just want to know what's going on in their world. Or maybe there's a sense in which you're following them because you're really intrigued. The things they, they, they talk about, things they post about, uh, have an influence in your life. And then maybe there's some other social media, you know, things out there like uh, Pinterest or Instagram. You can kind of see people can post different pictures. And I think sometimes we, we get caught up in it and we say, well, I, I want my life to be like that too. I, oh, that, that, that looks like something uh, awesome. You see all these other pictures out there where it's like it, it, they tried to recreate some of the photos and that they completely failed it. And uh, you kind of see that the mess and then the, the beautiful one. It's like, oh, well, that, we're, we're trying to be like that. That was our inspiration. We were following after that example. So who do you follow? Maybe you follow a sports team. Maybe there's that one team that you know from like the, the day they became a team all the way forward. You know their record. You know all their wins, all their losses. Uh, you're really hoping to get a sit-down meeting with the owner because you know what they need to do to really turn this year around. I mean, you've been tracking that. You know which players they need to pick up and you know which ones they need to drop. And, and you catch all the games. And you, you don't TiVo them and watch them later because you want to know right then and there. You don't want to ruin it for you. And, and it impacts your life. You'd go down in your basement and you would see which team you root for because it just adorns the walls with all their memorabilia. Maybe you follow certain musicians. A friend of mine is a fan of Dave Matthews' band. And in their heyday, she would follow them around the country uh, going to their different concerts. Uh, influenced her so much that her license plate has DMB as part of it for Dave Matthews' band. Uh, she has a tattoo on her body and, and that was inspired by uh, Dave Matthews' band and, and their music. Uh, she's a follower of Dave Matthews' band. And, and all these things, whether it be a sports team or a band, uh, it, it affects our decisions, right? We, we follow them, and so it, it has an effect on our schedule, on our time, uh, on our finances, as we uh, want to go and, and participate in the things that they're doing. But see, the question we're trying to get to here this morning is, what are you following ultimately? It's one thing to have, here's these things we like that we kind of follow and, and have an impact on our schedule. But what, what is the main thing that, that ha, has the final say in the decisions in your life? What, what are you following? Who are you following as to how you live your life? I think a lot of us here this morning in some way or another can relate to following in our parents' footsteps. We kind of have this mindset of, this is just how I was raised. This is, this is what morality looked like in my home. This is how you live. These are the habits. Uh, you know, I grew up with the toilet paper goes over, not under, and so that's the proper way to do it. I mean, you just have those ways that you grew up with. My, my dad was raised to be a gentleman. He grew up in the, the Bible Belt Midwest as a, as a farm boy, and he was, he was taught this is how you treat a lady, and he passed that on to me, and so I, I consider myself a gentleman, and now that I'm about to have a son, I'm, I'm going to pass that on to him. And so we have an influence in, in the lives of others who are following us. So maybe we're following in our parents' footsteps. Maybe you're following in the direction of the religion that you grew up in or are growing up in, or maybe the lack thereof. Maybe you didn't have any religion in your life whatsoever. 
me myself personally, I grew up in the, in the Lutheran church, and uh, you know, there that they do bapti- infant baptism. We, we don't, we don't see it as something supported in Scripture here, but we see we do a, a baby dedication where we dedicate them before the Lord. Um, I was baptized as an infant, and then they, they go through what's called eighth grade confirmation, where you're confirmed in the Lord. I went through all that, and then I was kind of done with all that because I really didn't have a, wasn't sure what I had just done. But supposedly I was a follower of Christ then, and so I went through all those steps. Um, and it had an impact in how I lived my life. It was a set of, okay, here's what you do. Because you're Lutheran, you stand up here, you sit down then, you say this at this time, and you say this prayer before dinner. And It was these Lutheran things that we would do. Depending on your upbringing and your background, you may see it as, okay, here's the things we do and the things we don't do. Here's the songs we sing and the songs we don't sing. Hey, I dance because I, I, I'm, I'm a Presbyterian, or I don't dance uh, because I'm a Catholic, or you know, we have these different backgrounds, or you know, my family grew up playing cards, and that was a thing that, that drew us together, and there's community in that. Maybe you, your family grew up being like, hey, cards are the devil. We don't mess with those at all. You know, um, TV, entertainment, drinking, all, we, we have different views on that, possibly because of the religion that we followed or are following. Maybe there's philosophies of others who have gone before us that we follow in their footsteps. Maybe it's people who have gone before us, people like Gandhi or Mother Teresa, or maybe some more modern-day people who have really impacted our society and really made their viewpoints, their ways of life known. People like Steve Jobs or Oprah, and people who just flocked to the way they lived or are living their lives. So, well, if they're doing it, I want to do it. If they did it, that's, how I, that's what I want to do. And we try to emulate them. It impacts the decisions that we make. I think a lot of us just follow ourselves. But if you think about that, it just leads you in a circle. We I mean, just try to follow yourself. I mean, it's going to lead you in a circle. And, and that's ultimately what happens is, is we kind of get in this place where we're just kind of making up our own truth as we go along. Instead of being in a place where we say, this is true, so that's why I believe it, We've got it backwards when we follow ourselves. And we say, well, I believe this to be true. I haven't investigated it. I don't really have any reason to believe it. I just feel like this just feels right. So it must be true. And we begin with belief and then try to pin truth on that. When in reality, we need to begin first with truth. You know, explore, investigate, test, learn, and see, okay, well, this is what I believe to be true. So then that should affect my beliefs. There's all these different things that we can follow, but why does it matter? Why does it matter who we follow? Because see, I would argue who and what we follow affects our decisions, our actions, the way we see the world, the way we see and treat others, the way we treat ourselves. It's all affected by who or what we follow. See, I would argue that any possibility that man could put forth as far as here's a good example to follow, you know, here's the footsteps you want to walk in, whether we're talking about family heritage or, or religion or, or uh, just other people, philosophers who have gone before us, I, I would argue that they're all falling short. You see, that life is more than just the physical, but it's also spiritual. It's more than just the temporal, but it's eternal. I would invite you, just this morning, would you consider the possibility that Jesus is the only one truly living for? He's the only one truly worth following after, making the leader of our lives. Would you just consider that for a moment? Some of you here this morning may be like, Steve, I'm with you on that. I believe Jesus is Lord and Savior. All right, let's talk about following Jesus. How do we do that? What does it look like? Let's take the next step. 
Some of you might be here being like, hey, you know what, I'm just here with her, I'm just here with him, and um, I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing. Sure, maybe he's God, I don't know. Or maybe you're, you're flat out against it. You know what, no thank you, uh, Jesus isn't for me, I'm, uh, I'm just here kind of checking things out. And wherever you are in that, please know this is a safe place to be. This is a safe place to ask questions. This is a safe place to express doubt. We, we, we strive to walk together as we learn and as we uncover who Jesus is and who God is. But see, I believe that Jesus is the only true way worth following because I believe that he is God. I'm not doing the backwards follow myself. Well, I believe it, so it must be true. I'm saying, as I look into the claims of Jesus, as I look into what he did, what he said, and, and who he is, it leads me to the conclusion that, yes, he was God, that he is God that the tomb is empty, that he laid down his life and he died, and the third day he rose again. He made a way for us to enter into heaven. We talked about that last week when he said, I am the door, the door that will go through Jesus to be in relationship with God in heaven. And that he has abundant life, and that's what we're talking about here this morning. As we follow him as our shepherd, there is abundant life. Well, if we're at this point of saying, hey, you know what, uh, I'll explore who this Jesus is, I want you to know that he's knowable. We can know what he's like. What we see in the book of John, specifically, these I am statements we've been walking through, where he says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, is where we're going here this morning. And each one of these statements uh, leads us back to these questions that we need to answer. And we're going to continue to hit on these questions as we go throughout this series. It is uh, this, who do we say that Jesus is, and what are the implications of that for my life? Who do we say that he is, and what are the implications of that for my life? I've talked to so many people that will say, well, I believe Jesus was a good teacher. And personally, I feel one of the reasons that that's a safe place for people to land, to say, I believe he was a teacher, is if he was just a teacher and not God, that means it doesn't require very much of us. We've heard from all kinds of different teachers. It's up to us whether or not we want to follow what they say. But if all of a sudden one of those teachers turns out to be God, okay, that's what we've got to listen to. But if we just say he was just a good teacher, we're not required to follow in the direction he would lead us. We can still have ourselves on the throne of our lives. We can make our own decisions and say, you know what, I'm not going to surrender to anybody. I'm not going to surrender to Jesus. I'm not going to surrender to God. Uh, he's a good teacher who can influence my decisions, but that's all I'm going to let it be right now. But when we really look at it, when we look at the claims that Jesus made and the implications of those claims, we cannot, with logical integrity, with intellectual integrity, make the claim that Jesus was just a good teacher. Because the claims he made were so out there that either he was crazy or he was God. There's really not much room for this middle ground. The things he was claiming, he was putting himself on the same level as God. Say, I can do the things that God can do because I'm God. I'm the Son. I and the Father are one, he would say. So we have to answer this question for ourselves of who do we say that he is and, and what are the implications of that for our lives? For some, we, we need to come uh, to an answer to the question, is Jesus God? And others of us have already answered that question, but we can still ask the question, what is he like? Okay, I believe he's God, but help me to understand what he's like. And we're going to do that here this morning a little more again. But for all of us, I think we need to ask, if Jesus is God, what does that require of me? What next step, what are my actions that I should be living because of who Jesus is? If Jesus is the bread of life, 
then I, I should be fully satisfied in him. I should find my fulfillment in him instead of in other areas of life. Instead of chasing down fulfillment through all these other avenues, I should find my fulfillment, my satisfaction in Jesus because he is the bread of life. Think about the best meal you've ever had. Right now I'm thinking about you know, a steak and potatoes meal that my wife makes for me. Just think about that. Mm. I know it's almost lunchtime, so I apologize. I'm doing it to myself. To my, uh, let's take a break. Um, think about that meal. No matter how good that meal was, you were hungry again, right? So even the satisfaction you received from that was still temporary. But we'll be fully satisfied in Jesus. There's a longing in our heart for eternal things that only Jesus can fulfill because he is the bread of life. If we say that he is the light of the world, we can then ask, have I taken the step where, where, where Jesus has opened my eyes to what is true, where his word illuminates what is true? We're actually going to see in the weeks ahead that Jesus actually also says, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just the one who illuminates what is true, but he is uh, the embodiment of truth. If we say Jesus is the door, then do we follow in the requirements of that upon our lives to say that I celebrate and share the good news that Jesus saves? That uh, on this side, apart from God, we, we, we're in a world of death where we will end up dying and being separated from God. But Jesus has given us a way. We can celebrate that and we can share that, that as we go through Jesus as the doorway, we can then be in a place of life. If you missed last week, I encourage you to hop online, MeadowlandChurch.org, and, and catch part one. We talk about Jesus is the door. You can hop on the Meadowland app as well. And we'll, we'll have it up there if it's not there already. Um, you can kind of just catch up on, on some of that, that Jesus is the door and how he saves. And if we believe that, are, are we living in that reality and sharing that with others? So we're going to go on to Jesus is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And this is a continuation of last week. Our, our story began last week in John chapter 9. We're going to be in John chapter 10. So if you got your Bibles and you want to turn to John 10, I would encourage you to do so. If you want to go digital and, and pull out a, a Bible app and, and go John chapter 10 on that, we, we strongly encourage that. Any way you can get the Word of God in front of you is a beautiful thing. It'll be on the screen as well when we get there. But to understand John 10, we had to go back to John chapter 9, right? Because John 10 flowed right off of 9, and, and 9 ends in this question, and Jesus then answers the question in John 10. And, uh, and so the, the question was all about blind, being blind. Because what was happening is you had these two people, uh, kind of two, two groups, camps, arguing about who Jesus was. On one side, you had this man who was born blind, um, and then had an interaction with Jesus who, who restored his sight. And so now we'll call him the unblind man. And so you had him, and he's saying, I believe Jesus is Lord. He, he restored my sight, something that I've never had since birth. He gave to me. I believe he is the Lord, and I will worship him. Well, then there's this other camp, the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of God's people at that time, the religious leaders of the Jews. And they said, no, he's not God. He's a sinner because he worked on the Sabbath. See, in their culture, they had a day of rest, the Sabbath, and, and you weren't supposed to do any work whatsoever on that day of rest. And so they went as far to say, well, that must be the healing too, because even though he healed the man, and a man who was blind is now unblind, he has, now, he has sight, Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and that's, that's a sin. You can't work on the Sabbath. And so ironically enough, the Pharisees, the ones who had sight, and were supposed to be the religious leaders, they were the ones who were blind. Blind to the fact that God was right before them uh, performing a miracle. They couldn't see that. 
And so Jesus makes a comment about that, and they overhear, and they ask this question, are you saying that we're blind? And Jesus says, all right, well, let me answer your question. He goes into this story and this analogy. This is John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold, sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So all of a sudden, to illustrate this this whole concept of, of what they're missing, Jesus jumps to the story about sheep and shepherds. And, and remember, that those who are hearing this, they would have known exactly what he was talking about in the sense of the illustration of, of sheep and shepherd. Now, they may, may not get the point Jesus is making, but they understand all the players in the game. We can maybe uh, put it together, but we don't have as vivid of an understanding because we don't see sheep and shepherd on a daily basis. But they would have. They would have seen him out in the hillsides back and forth, and they would have known very clearly that sheep are a helpless animal. They, they, they truly are helpless. I know they have the big sharp te- teeth and the claws they can retract. No, they don't. They don't have any of that. They're these soft, fluffy things that can make a lot of noise and make a big mess. But, you know, they can maybe run a little bit, but they're, they're helpless. They don't even have a sense of, of home. They, they can't find the way back home. They just will graze and keep on going until they wander off and get lost or devoured by a predator. They would have a clear image that the sheepfold, the pen where the sheep are stored, that that is a clear sign of protection, of safety, of life. Because being left out in the field without protection of a shepherd would have meant death for a sheep. And so they would have instantly thought of that when he talks about the sheepfold and the sheep that are within that protection. They would have been familiar with thieves and robbers, those who would want to come in and take the sheep from the shepherd who'd want to come to steal and kill, who don't enter through the door, but will go around and try to go over the fence another way. And they would have known this picture of a, she- of a shepherd, the one that the sheep follow because they know his voice. Because he loves the sheep and the sheep love him. They would have pictures in their head, most likely, where they were probably going on a trail and all of a sudden you know, a, a flock is starting to take, over, take them over as a shepherd is leading his flock of sheep out to pasture. There's another shepherd coming the other way from a different direction and, and they're going to pass. And all of a sudden you think, okay, we're going to get a little mix up here with all the sheep. How are they ever going to figure out which one's which? But all of a sudden you witness as the flocks come together and there's still this kind of forward momentum of each in different directions and it leads to this place where all of a sudden all the sheep are in the middle and the shepherds are on the opposite sides from where they started. They just each give their own whistle, their own sound that they make to call their sheep, and the sheep just start to separate. And they follow after their shepherd because they know their shepherd's voice. He leads them and they follow. This is all stuff that would have come to mind when Jesus starts talking about, hey, let me answer your question and tell you a little story. Okay, I understand what you're talking about, Jesus. And so we need to put ourselves in their shoes. And Jesus continues in verse 11, I'm sorry, uh, in verse 7, it makes this I am the door statement. And that was, again, last week. I'd encourage you to go listen to that. It talks about how if you enter in through me, I'm the doorway into the sheepfold. 
and come in through me, and there is protection, there is life. Out here there is death, well, apart from me, but you go through me into the door, there is life, in life abundantly. And I give an, another I am statement here, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time here this morning, where in, in verse 11 of John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, the shepherd is the hero in this story. He's the one that if you had to say, who am I in this story, you'd say, oh, I, hope, I hope I'm the shepherd. I really don't want to be the sheep, especially after how Steve described them. I don't want to be the thieves or those that come in to kill and destroy. Um, you know, Jesus says he's a gate. I don't want to be an animate object. I don't want to be the sheep pen because that's just full of sheep poop. Uh, you know, I don't want to be any of those things. I, I, want, I want to be the shepherd. He, he's the hero of the story. But I, I wonder those who are here in this story, where they would have put themselves. My guess, this isn't, I'm kind of just inferring some things, but my guess would be that the man who was blind and now is unblind, he'd see himself as a sheep. He would know that apart from Jesus, he would still be lost. He would still be in a place of death and he has no one to lead him to a place of safety and security and abundant life. But now he's met Jesus, a shepherd, who's given him his sight, who's led him to a place of life and life abundantly. And so I think he would see himself as a sheep. The Pharisees who are listening, I think they would have seen themselves as the shepherd. In one sense, they would have been right in that they are a shepherd in that point in time of God's people. They were spiritual leaders for God's people. That was their role. But I think the problem is that they've been putting themselves first before the flock. They've had this heart, this mentality of, look how great and holy we are, which obviously means you're not. And it became all about following the rules, and they're missing the heart of God. In essence, Jesus is kind of speaking out against the Pharisees here. Where he says, I am the good shepherd. I think that one adjective there is really intentional. He's making a distinction. There's all kinds of shepherds out there. I'm the good shepherd. Let me tell you what the good shepherd does. Because the Pharisees, they were not the good shepherds. Their focus was not on the flock. Their focus was on God's law and man's ability to follow it. And they got so focused on that that they completely missed the heart of God. Now, the law is not a bad thing as long as it's not primary. In the same way we talk about here at Meadowland, you know, religion isn't bad in and of itself, but if we make it first in our life and we say religion saves, no, it doesn't. Jesus saves. Religion is just us as man and woman working together to kind of live out our faith, right? And so in the same way, the law is not the of itself, but if we put it in a place it was never meant to be, it can lead us down a dangerous road to where the Pharisees miss the heart of God. Let me give you an illustration to help understand what's going on here. Um, if you have kids, imagine your kids. If you don't have kids, I got a two-year-old you can borrow for the afternoon and you have a good picture uh, of what that looks like. Uh, she's a sweetheart, a spitfire, and she'll drive you crazy, but you'll love her. Um, if you don't have kids, imagine you have kids and, and, and your kid comes up to you and says, Mommy, Daddy, I want to go play. And you say, Great. It is my heart that you would be able to play on all kinds of fun things, so much so that I set up the backyard for you. I got an old tractor tire, and I laid it on its side. I got it all cleaned up, and I filled it with sand. I threw a bunch of toys in there for you to play with. I got a fun little corner over here. I went and I, and I bought off Craigslist a, a jungle gym with swings and a slide and monkey bars and all those kind of things you can swing across and climb on. I got that in the backyard for you. 
Your crazy Uncle Joe sent you this weird water gift for Christmas. That, you know, it's a water pump that makes water balloons and all kinds of weird things. Whatever, you make a mess and, and make some bubbles. And you know what? We've got that in the other corner. You know what? And then, you know what? How about a pile of mud? Just go play in the mud. You got all, I got all these things out there for you. And you go to your kid and you say, here's my one request. Stay in the backyard. My heart is that you go have fun, but stay in the backyard. Okay? So, so the kid goes out and he's playing in the mud. Goes straight for the mud and that's where he's at. Maybe that's what your kid does. Maybe your imaginary kid goes and, and tries a little bit of everything. I want to go down the slide. I want to go to the mud and then go down the slide. Then I'll go to the sandbox. Whatever it is, any of those examples, the, your child is, is, is in tune with your heart. You want them to experience the joy of these things, the fun of these things that you've provided for them so they could have joy and have that excitement, right? But now the one kid who's, who's the Pharisee, he goes outside and stands in the middle of the yard and puts his hands in his pocket. Look, Dad, I didn't go, out, I didn't go outside the backyard. Oh, well, that's great, son. Thank you, but go play. But I didn't go outside of the backyard. I saw Tommy over there. The ball went over the fence, and he went and got it and came back in. He's having fun with that ball, but he went outside the fence. I didn't. Look how awesome I am. Oh, go play. I didn't go outside of the backyard. I mean, the Pharisees just kept focusing on the law. That the, okay, you said, don't do this, God. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But they were so focused on that that they missed completely the heart of God. And we see the evidence in this story that Jesus heals a man born blind and they're calling Jesus a sinner because he did it on the Sabbath. Boy, did they miss the heart of God. And that's one of the reasons why, why, why they were always at, at odds with Jesus. They, they, call, they don't what's called building a hedge around the Torah. If you have neighbors you don't really like, you go to the landscaping store and you buy a bunch of evergreens and you build a hedge right down the property line so you don't have to see them and deal with them. It's a separation, a barrier, a protector. What they did is they had the Torah, which was their law from God. And so they had their Torah and they built a hedge around it because we don't want to break the law of God and so we'll set this hedge around it. We'll, We'll take another step. And so that way we won't break the law of God. And look how good we are at not doing that. But they got so focused on that, as I said, missed the heart of God. You guys tracking with me on that? So what does a good shepherd do? If the Pharisees are bad shepherds, what do the good shepherds do? Well, Jesus continues to explain that after he says, I am the good shepherd. So let's go to the text. John chapter 10, verse 11 through 16. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, but I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock one shepherd. So the good shepherd, what does he do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Now this is both a a foreshadowing, uh, it's it's both a figurative and a literal statement. When Jesus says, I I lay down my life for the sheep, he he knows what's coming. He knows that uh, what we celebrate on Good Friday is going to happen where he goes to the cross and allows his life to be taken. Remember, he's God. He, he, 
You can't take God's life. But he allows it to be taken. He allows his body to be broken, his blood to be shed. Allows himself to die on a cross. So that his payment, his sacrifice, would be a sufficient payment for our sins. Jesus was free from sin. He didn't deserve death. We have sinned. We have gone against the word of God in some way or another, big or small. We've messed up. And that puts separation between us and God. And so the Old Testament, you'd have a sacrifice, and that sacrifice wasn't sufficient to to fully cover over all the sin. And so Jesus is the, the sacrificial lamb whose blood, whose sacrifice is sufficient for all sin. We trust in him. We receive that gift. And when Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees the sacrifice Jesus paid. And he sees Jesus' perfection. Because we are made perfect because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so we're going to celebrate on Good Friday. I would strongly encourage you to come on out Good Friday, April 3rd, and be a part of that as we remember what Jesus did on the cross. If you do, if you do, all I'm saying, clear your calendar for Sunday after. Please, come. if you come to a Good Friday service, don't let the story end there because there is so much more to the story. And it is so glorious and majestic as we celebrate the risen Jesus on Easter. And so if you go to Good Friday, please, whether here or somewhere else, go to an Easter service and celebrate the risen Lord. So he's foreshadowing that he will lay down his life. But he's also saying, you know, there's a way in which we can lay down our life without dying, right? We see parents do this all the time where they, they, the way they live their life, they're living because they want to provide for their kids. They, they, they make sacrifices. Maybe they want to do this, but they do something else because of what it would mean for their family whether it's for our kids or extended family, we lay down our lives for others all the time. And that's the focus of the shepherd. It's his flock, not himself, because he lays down his life by providing for them, by protecting them. So let's unpack that a little bit. See, that the good shepherd provides for his sheep. He provides for his sheep. Uh, we're going to go to Psalm 23 here in a moment. And the reason we're going to Psalm 23 is, is this is written by uh, King David. He was a figure in uh, the Israelites, the, the Jews' uh, history. Uh, and he, he, if anyone has insight on sheep and shepherds, it's him. He was a shepherd, right? So he was a shepherd of sheep. And then he became a leader of God's people, a king. And so he was a shepherd of people as well. But he's also a sheep who follows God, his ultimate shepherd. And we see that, he, you know, Scripture would say he was a man after God's own heart. And so he's pursuing the heart of God. And so let's see what he says about being a shepherd. Psalm 23, verse 1 through 3. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, with the Lord as our shepherd, our needs are met. We shall not want because we've been provided for it. A couple ways he provides for us, leads us to green pasture, a source of food that will bring about growth and health and fruitfulness. There's all kinds of ways that Jesus does this in our life. I just want to hit on one real quick. One of the ways that we can have a place of of growth and health and fruitfulness in our lives as we follow Jesus is by being in community with one another. Even that phrase, makes me lie down in green pastures. We kind of see this where where Scripture teaches us that we should be doing life together. Hebrews would talk about don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but continue to, to come together. We see all these one another verses, love one another, care for one another, meet the needs of one another, be there for one another, that we, we can't live out unless we are in relationship with one another as the church. 
I've yet to meet someone who said, hey, you know, I'm pulling back, I'm checking out from church and, and disconnecting from the life of the body. And then, you know, three, six months later, I run into them like, hey, I, I've been growing in my faith, I've been, I've been healthier in my faith, I've been fruitful, and just God's doing all this amazing stuff. I just don't see that. But I see the opposite. I'm, I'm starving, I'm hungry spiritually because I've disconnected from the body. Yes, it's Jesus that satisfies. But a lot of times he brings that meal through the body. He brings that wisdom through the body of Christ. And so we need to be doing life together in community. A sheep is a part of a flock. Let's be a part of a flock as the shepherd provides for us. Shepherd not only provides growth, health, and fruitfulness, but rest and refreshment. And I've got to put a disclaimer on this. This is still one I'm figuring out in my own life. This is, this is a tough one, I think, for a lot of people uh, to really be able to quiet ourselves, to stop ourselves, and find rest and refreshment in God. Let me just kind of, again, one, one perspective, one way in which following God, following Jesus, brings about rest and refreshment in our lives. When we acknowledge the fact that our eternity is secure, that we don't need to work our way to God, as so many other religions would teach, once we realize that we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our eternity is set, we can be assured of that. Once we know that, that puts a new perspective on everything in this life, right? Sure, there's still stressors, there's still things we've got to work through, there's still issues, there's still some serious, significant stuff. But regardless of if we get it all figured out or not, our eternity is with God. If we put a timeline up of what eternity looks like, and then we put a a chunk of it, the mark, what this life looks like, it's just a speck. And so there's a peace in that. There's a hope in that. We can also see in Matthew 6 that Jesus would call us not to worry. Do not worry about our lives. Look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the valley and see how well they're clothed, how well they're fed. And, and how much more do you think God loves you? And who by worrying will add a single any, anything to your life? And so we see that when we follow Jesus and trust in our eternity being secure that there is rest and refreshment. He leads us beside still waters. See, a sheep needs that. Because if the water, if the current's moving too fast, they won't drink out of it. They can be thirsty, but they won't. But they need that still, calm water to be refreshed and rejuvenated. Like we're the same. But in Jesus, we can find that rest if we're willing to follow. Then he will lead us in a path of righteousness for his name's sake. Uh, have you ever desired direction in your life? You have those moments where you feel like, I'm just not sure what to do next. I'm not sure where to go. I think so many times we long for a personalized letter from Jesus that says, hey, how's it going, Steve? So good to see you. You know, it's been good connecting with you through prayer. Hey, just offhand, here, I know you've been thinking about making some steps in your life. Here's where you should go next. My wife and I were talking about what, what to name our son. We kind of need, we've got a message from Jesus. Hey, by the way, here's his name. You know, you can follow me or not, your choice. I'd recommend you follow, but here's his name. It'd be, okay, there's the name, got it, Jesus says. You know, but we don't get that. And that's, that's not, we, we shouldn't come to expect that because uh, I think so many times it's like that backyard analogy where I got a whole bunch of stuff out there. Play with whatever you want. My heart is just that you would enjoy it. So I think a lot of things, we're looking for that specific, but we don't get that. 
We get stuck in that because we want direction. But God will lead us in a path of righteous, righteousness when we follow after Jesus. Here, here's some ways we can kind of uh, see the direction that God is leading us. First question we can ask, it says, God spoken about it in his word. Has God spoken about the direction I'm considering going in my life in his word? Maybe you're saying, hey, I'm thinking about taking a new job in my life. And this is, honest to God, I had a friend who this was his job uh, for a brief moment in his life before he met Jesus. But his job was to work for a drug dealer, to take the drugs, and to go to the buy. And when he had the drugs and the money both in the same place, to beat the other guy up and take them both back to his, his boss. I mean, he had excellent health benefits and excellent pay. But if you say, is this a job I should pursue? No. There's all kinds of scriptures we can find where God has already spoken on the matter. We can go, he's spoken, we should honor and obey our government. All right, we're, you know, there's all kinds of ways you're breaking the law when you do a job like that. So if you're saying, I'm, 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 hey, you know what, I'm going to give 20% to the church. No, thank you. No, don't, that's not a job you should pursue. God has already spoken about that. I know that's a silly example, but we, we do this in our lives where we see things that are like, God, I know, I know this isn't right, but I just really want to know your will on it. So let me know if you think it's okay for me to do this, and if I don't hear from you, I'll take that as a yes, it's okay for me to do what I want to do. Let me know, is it okay you know, to, to fool around with my girlfriend or my boyfriend? You know, we're not married yet. We know you, know, you put some boundaries on, on, on sex, on, on purity, on those kind of things. But, you know, if you don't hear from me, we'll assume it's okay to do whatever you want. Let me know if it's okay to use this kind of language and to speak about people behind their back. And it's, I mean, I, it technically it's gossip, but we know, I mean, they're not finding out about it. So, you know, we're not hurting anybody, unless they find out, but they're not finding out. We, we wait for this response. Well, if you don't, I don't hear from you, you know, we've already heard. We've already heard. So first question, has God already spoken on the direction where we're desiring to go? And if he has, we've got, we got to look at that and follow. If he has spoken and, and, and you're, you're, in, you're good, you're not trying to go against the word of God, and you're still not sure which direction to go, has God been leading you? Has God been leading you? Scripture talks about how when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we have a seal upon our lives. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. And it can speak to us in the quiet of our hearts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, clear, the, clear the room with something here real quick. If you're sitting there saying, Steve, but I've never heard the voice of God, you're okay, you're in, you're in good company. I, I myself have never heard an audible voice of God. Does it happen? Yeah, we see that in Scripture where there are people who have heard the audible voice of God or the audible voice of a messenger sent from God. But that's not the rule. I think that's the exception. If you want to hear the voice of God, crack open your Bible and start reading He's already spoken to us. If you want to hear the voice of God, gather together with some other Christians, brothers and sisters, and seek wise counsel. If you want to hear the voice of God, find time to get away and, and, and remove distractions from your life and so you can get to the quiet of your heart and seek, God, what do you have for me? Reveal through your Holy Spirit the direction I should go. And if you feel God's leading you in a certain direction, you've got to honor that. You've got to follow that. Another question we can ask is, what does love require of me? If you're considering a, a, a direction, if you feel like, where do I go in life? What does love require of me in this situation? Whatever it would be. Because a path of righteousness is ultimately leading us in a path of love. And we have to look at the heart behind it too. Leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do my actions make much of Jesus and make his name known? Or do they make much of me, make my name known? That's a big one for our direction in life. And it doesn't mean that everything we do has to be uh, about uh, some kind of church thing. 
You can be a, a, a lawyer, you can be a waitress, you can be a, a stay-at-home mom, any profession you want, and do it in a way that makes much of Jesus. You can be a pastor and do it in a way that doesn't make much of Jesus. That's sad, too. But we're thinking about the direction we should go in our lives. The final question we can ask is, will it make much of the name of Jesus? And if it will, awesome, let's go. There's the direction for you to go. But I want Jesus to give me that letter and say yes. He's already spoken in his word. Let's go. So following Jesus gives us direction in our lives. So this good shepherd not only provides, but he also protects his sheep. We've already kind of hit on that a little bit, that the sheep have all kinds of awesome defenses. You know, they could probably hide, you know, the concealed carry and all that wool they have. And um, you know, but they got nothing. They can run a little bit. But have you ever seen a sheep run? Not very graceful. I mean, predators out there are much more graceful and are much quicker. And the only reason that sheep is going to be able to run away is because their buddy already got taken. That's the other defense, is they huddle together, right? And say, okay, hopefully I'm not the first one taken. Am I the only one thing about Liam Nielsen coming in like, you took my sheep? Okay, never mind. Wow. You'd think I'd learn by now to stick to the notes. So they, they got no security apart from the shepherd. Apart from the shepherd. Psalm 23, verse 4 through 6. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I've never been there, but it sounds terrifying. Like a dangerous place to be. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, our eternity is secure. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever as we follow in Jesus. But we see this picture of the uh, shepherd where he's got his rod and his staff. And yes, they were used to direct and guide and discipline the the, the sheep. But they're also used uh, to fight off predators, those who'd want to come to kill, steal, and destroy the flock. We need to remember that God is with us. It's like when you were a kid, did you ever get picked on on the playground? Maybe you were in third grade and you had that one kid who was significantly larger than you. You think you really liked third grade because it was his fourth time taking it? Which meant he I mean, big guy. And your mom packed some amazing lunches. I mean, had all, all the, the fixings on the sandwich, and you know, she knew your favorite treats and gave you extra ones, and they just happened to be his favorite treats too, and he knew they were in your lunchbox, and he, he's wanting to you know, take your lunch and, and, and you know, kind of pick on you a little bit. You're terrified. But then all of a sudden, imagine your dad shows up. All right. You start to get a little confident. Dad's here now. What are you going to do to me? You know, we start mouthing off a little bit. Now my dad's got a pocket knife. He's going to cut you. You know, it's like, we, we know, he's my, my, my defense. Sure, I, I can't do anything, but my dad's here, and he sure can. It's the same with the sheep and the shepherd. It's the same way with us and Jesus. We think we've got a big bark and a big bite and all this protection from the, the, the evil of this world, but we're defenseless apart from the shepherd. Our defense, our security, our protection is in Jesus, who is with us and is armed. So we have to ask ourselves, who are we battling against? I think sometimes we get this off. We, we get off on who our battle is really with. Sometimes we, I think we battle against other believers in, of Jesus and, and who, who maybe think a little differently or act a little differently. Let me tell you something. 
Um, if we're united in Christ as Lord and Savior, we are brothers and sisters. And so if you have a friend who says, you know, I, I worship Jesus by waving my hands around, dancing all over, and when you guys you go, go to any kind of service together, you're always getting bumped in, you know, by their elbows because they're moving, dancing, and, and you're the one, hey, I, I worship God by just, you know, I put my hands in my pocket and I, and I somberly reflect on the words I'm hearing and I don't move because, you know, I want God to know where I am and I don't want him to have to follow me, you know, with all the dancing around. It, if we're united in Christ, that's not our enemy. That's a brother or a sister. How dare we treat them as an enemy? I think sometimes I see in the, in the Christian circles where we treat unbelievers as enemy, those who live a, a life apart from Jesus. They're, they're not the enemy. Those, they're the ones we're called to go and share Jesus with. That's who we used to be before we met Jesus. And we're so glad that someone shared it with us. Let's go share it with someone else. So when we meet an unbeliever who's not for the things that we're for, Instead of getting all defensive and being like, no, I need to attack your stances on, on life and politics and all this kind of stuff, we just see them as someone who Jesus loves. Say, you're not my enemy. You're one I'm called to love. Our enemy are the wolves and the thieves and those that want to kill and destroy. Our enemies are the false teachers that would lead us astray from God. If I ever teach you something apart from the word of God, and say, oh, you know, speak some authority on God. If I lead you astray from God and his word, stop listening to me. Seriously, don't listen to me. And if you care for me, come and rebuke me. Let me know. Steve, you are far from God right now. Uh, we don't need an intercessor. We don't need someone to go to God on our behalf because we have that in Jesus. Jesus goes to God on our behalf, and so we can go straight to God. And so I encourage you, every Sunday morning when we're going through God's Word, take it and, and see for yourself. Get your, your, your fingers marred with the ink of your Bible as you're flipping through the pages, or, or get a sore thumb as, as you're clicking on an iPhone or an iPad. You're confirming the stuff we're talking about, and you're seeing for yourself in the Word of God that this is true. Don't let anyone lead you astray. We can go straight to God. It's our false teachers, those that would say, no, you've got to go through me to get this message from God. Those are the ones we need to watch out for. Those are the ones we need to say, no, Jesus, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you, Jesus. It doesn't add up, so I, I, you know, I gotta stand guard against that because you're my protection. Our defense is Jesus. We can share the hope that we have in him as we love our enemies. So he, is, he, is, he lays his life down for the sheep by providing for them, by protecting them. The good shepherd knows his sheep. This is kind of an interesting one because it just, I just want you to know this. Jesus knows you. You're not just another face in a crowd, but he knows you. Each one of us. You're not just, okay, I'll just save some people today and lay down my life. He knows his sheep. And our response is we get an opportunity to know him. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. See, the sheep hear and know the voice of the good shepherd. But the question for us is, do we ever stop to listen? Is, is you ever pray a life like this? you ever pray, God, good morning. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all the blessings in my life. You know, I, I got a roof over my head and food on my table. And just, you know, I'm really pumped for this day. Just ask you to be with me right now. And hey, I got some big decisions coming up. And I'm just looking for some direction right now. Uh, if you really help me uh, figure out which direction to go. Here, you, you know all the different options I have. You know what I'm thinking through. So just, I, I want to hear from you right now, God. Because you're just going to speak into my life right now. And maybe just you know, help me to hear from you. And okay, so uh, I haven't heard anything yet. So oh, well, thank you for this day and this opportunity I have to live for you. Amen. You go on with your day. Can you imagine if we had a conversation like that with someone? You, you never hear anything because you don't stop talking. 
And so that's the thing. Do we do, we do that sometimes? Are we guilty of that? We're, we're in, in our, our relationship with God. We don't actually take time to stop and listen. We don't take time to pause and, and listen for the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our life. Or to pause and, and, and you know what? I'm going to make a decision about forgiveness. Let's see what God, let me listen to God's voice and flip through the Bible and find what it says about forgiveness. Let me give him time to speak truth into my life. Let me listen by seeking wise counsel and trusted Christian brothers and sisters. The shepherd knows his sheep. We have an opportunity to know his voice if we can stop to listen. The good shepherd unites his sheep. In John 10, 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. In the context in which he said this, uh, what he was talking about is there was the Jews and the Gentiles. Gentiles, anyone who wasn't a Jew. And so basically, he's saying, I didn't just come for the Jews. There are other sheep I need to go and get and bring into the fold. There'll be one flock and one shepherd. Because the Jews have been operating under this mindset of we are the people of God and we are in this world of pagans, all these Gentiles who don't know God. And the Messiah will come through our people and he will save the Jews. Jesus is like, you're right. But it's bigger than that. I'm for all people. Which is good news for us, right? Because I'm guessing the majority of us in here probably aren't Jewish. And so whether you are or you aren't, Jesus came for you. came for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. And, and for us today, I think it has some implication on our life as we look at how, how, how separated the church is, how divided we are. We've got to acknowledge that Jesus came for one flock. He is one shepherd. We can be united under that. And so let's wrap up with this. When we talk about what, what the good shepherd does, what, what, what does a good sheep do? What does a sheep do? Plain and simple, John 10, 4b. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. We follow. Sheep follow the shepherd. So let's think about that question in our life for a moment. Think about the decisions you have to make today. The direction you're moving in your life. Think about the way you love your spouse, the way you care for your kids, the way you engage with your family, the way you treat those that you boss, the way you, you uh, respond to your boss the way you work at home, the way you work in the workplace, the way you live your life in community. Let us think of all these things in our lives and are we doing it in a way that follows Jesus, in a way that puts him first and says, when it comes to how I will love my spouse, I'm going to look to Jesus first and follow his example and follow his direction for how to be a good husband or a good wife. When it comes to how I care for my family, I'm going to look to Jesus first. When it comes to how I offer forgiveness, I'm going to look to Jesus first. When it comes to how I treat those around me, I'm going to look to Jesus first. So who are we following? Are we following Jesus? Are we following other things from this world? The story ends in, in John 10, 19 through 21. There was division amongst them, and they're basically saying, you know, some are saying, this man's insane. And others are saying, hey, would someone possessed by demons say these things? that they were divided still. If he's insane, we can disregard him. If he's the one who saves, we can worship him. And so let's just close with that question of who do we say Jesus is? If we believe he is God, if we believe he is the good shepherd, let us be a sheep and follow.